Hey, what's going on? It's Sybil from The Possibility of Today. Thanks so much for dropping by and tuning in. This show's all about the events that are happening all around us, whether it's the events in the news or even the events in our own life. We get into all of it because we are trying to make certain we are living today better than yesterday. So I hope you will stick around. You are listening to The Possibility Today on webtalkradio.net. Hey, what's going on? How are you? How was the week? Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have got some great topics that we are going to discuss and get all into. Like we always do, we will end with the hot questions of the week. Thank you, everyone who continues to send those in. There's some really good questions that we're going to go through. If you ever are interested in sending in questions, please just email them to me at civil at possibilityoftoday.com. We always take at least one hot question and go through it at the end of the show. So please continue to send those in to me. They're always really, really good and interesting. So thank you for that. The question we're going to actually talk through today is from Sherry. And Sherry's asking about her career and being confused about the direction it's going. So we are going to do our best to help Sherry out with that one. And we will end with a funny possibility of today, moment of the week, because we always just have to make sure we're not taking ourselves too seriously, right? That we're laughing and having some fun. And I came across this hilarious moment that I want to share with you guys. But we're also going to hear from... Andre Agassi and Denzel Washington on the topic of relationships. And then also from Howard Schultz, who is actually the CEO of Starbucks and Julia Roberts. And we'll hear from both of them when we're discussing the topic of the connection between being likable and your success. Because I came across a really fascinating article in Forbes that I wanted to get into. But first, I actually wanted to talk to you about all of these other reports and statistics that, you know, we're sometimes focused on. I'm sure you've probably come across them, haven't you? It's, you know, the reports and statistics that say, you know, you're 85% more likely to have a successful career if you do these things or you're 60% more likely to get divorced if it's your second marriage. And these reports are actually fascinating to me because some of them, I think, are really good to rely on and draw conclusions from and apply to your life. And others, you kind of want to just proceed with caution because... I mean, obviously, a lot of them are compelling, and it seems logical, right, to automatically buy into them. I mean, they're based on research and science and data, and rightly so. The assumption is is that we can rely on them, and, you know, we can essentially take the implications and the insights from them and, you know, 
find guidance for how we should live our lives, what we should do, how we should change the way we should live, think, and all those other things. But this is my theory. Because like anything else, I just think we have to be very careful and not accept anything at face value. No matter how compelling the data is, no matter what school or college or professor or doctor or PhD it's coming out of, I just think that one of the lessons I've learned is to look at information that you have access to and dissect it and make sure that you are taking away the right takeaway messages because otherwise you're drawing the wrong conclusions and assuming these statistics have implications on your life and you could even be making changes that you really shouldn't be making because they're based on assumptions that aren't necessarily applicable to you. And it's not that I'm questioning the validity of the data or the research. I know people put a lot of time and effort and energy and no one just says things without basing them on actual science. It's just that I think sometimes we draw these broad-based conclusions and assume things have implications for us that we don't. So I think it's just worth taking another look. And specifically, I wanted to talk about two statistics and reports, both of which you may have heard of. The first one is one that I actually think falls into that category of being of being really careful about just, you know, looking at it at first glance and buying into it completely. So this report actually claims that there are certain external indicators like wealth, education level, and race that have a bearing on whether or not you are going to have a long-lasting relationship. So essentially what it's saying is if you have certain traits and you're wealthy, then you're more likely to have a relationship that's going to work out versus if you don't have these factors or what they're calling indicators. Isn't that interesting? Again, I think that this report is definitely one that you just have to kind of be careful about and not make too many assumptions about the implications it has on you or your relationship. So we are going to get into that. But on the flip side of the coin, the second report I wanted to get into that I came across is one that I really think is worth considering and making sure we're applying to our life. This report is actually coming out of the Carnegie Institute. And the conclusion that it reached was that intelligence and specifically a high IQ may actually be overrated. Surprise, surprise, right? When it comes to predicting your success, according to this report, and not only just your success, but your professional achievement, kind of where you end up in life, you know, how you excel with what you do. This report concluded that only 15%, that's right, 15% of your success is because of your IQ. The report concluded that the 
real reason and the major indicator of people's success, 85% of it is actually due to their personality and ability to communicate. So translate that, it means if people actually like you. (laughs) If people actually like you, according to this report, then you are more likely to succeed. And, you know, we're always focused on IQ and intelligence and all of these other things. And clearly that plays a part. But according to this article in Forbes and this research, it's not nearly as big of a part as people would assume. So I just thought that was really interesting. And we're going to discuss that. But first, let's start with the report that claims that there are these certain external indicators, namely wealth, education level, and age that make you more likely to have a long-lasting relationship. This report, interestingly enough, is coming out of New Jersey because according to a community survey that was released by the Census Bureau, New Jersey ranks last. I was so surprised when I read this. Ranks last among the states in the percentage of residents that are 18 and older who are divorced. And I wasn't surprised because I think anything negative about New Jersey, it was just I had no idea that New Jersey had such a low divorce rate. Because according to the Census Bureau, only 9% of New Jersey adults are divorced. So clearly, you know, when you look across the U.S., New Jersey is winning (laughs) the race because they have this impressively low divorce rate. And clearly people are like, okay, what is going on in New Jersey? What do they know that we don't know? And there are all of these theories on why New Jersey is touting this 9% really, really low divorce rate. And the national average is 40 to 50%. So, I mean, they are well ahead of the national average. And the explanation, though, that's being cited is that report that we've been talking about. Because they say that there are these indicators, and these indicators, the wealth, the education level, and the age when people got married, they're saying these are the factors that are allowing the New Jersey divorce rate to be so low because many of the residents are satisfying these criteria, meaning they are college educated, they have money. And from a race standpoint, they're white. And those criteria, those factors are the variables that are playing into their long-lasting marriages. And I really wanted to get into this topic because I think that this is exactly the issue that can arise if you read too much into these reports and assume that they just absolutely apply to you, right? Because if you buy into this report, it suggests that 
we have less personal control. There aren't things that we can do that are going to affect our relationship as much as we think because we either have these criteria or these indicators or we don't. And so it's an obvious takeaway message that kind of downplays what you do in a relationship and how you treat your relationship. And it suggests that although that may matter a little, ultimately the likelihood of success of your relationship is based on other things. And that's why I think we really have to be careful about assuming that these indicators mean more than they actually do and actually applies to our own relationships, our success, our current relationships, you know, whether or not we are going to have a long-lasting marriage. Because if we're focusing too much on these external indicators and assuming that they mean more than they do, then in essence, we're overlooking what I would say are the true factors that make a relationship work. And I would imagine that's not anything anyone wants to do, right? And again, just to be clear, I am not doubting this report or the data that it's based on because it would make sense to me that there definitely are people who have these indicators and also have long-lasting relationships that are solid and that are working. I'm just saying I think there could potentially be different reasons as to why their relationships are working out that perhaps have less to do with these specific indicators like race, socioeconomic class, education level than this report is suggesting. In fact, I would bet that the reason people who have these ideal indicators and also have very solid relationships I would bet the reason why their relationships are solid and lasting are probably the same reasons why someone who may not be at the same income level or have as high of an educational degree or may not be of the same race. I would imagine that those reasons are more similar than we would think and that it has less to do with these specific indicators and more to do with the personalities of the two people in the relationship, how each of them approach life, how each of them approach the relationship, how invested they are, how they you know, maintain and cultivate their relationship. I just feel like that has to be more important than indicators. Don't you agree? I mean, do you really think it could be the case that everyone who is a minority is less likely to stay married because they're of a certain race or people who have modest incomes, people who aren't rich, people who don't have those jobs that command these really high salaries or don't have these higher level degrees. Are they really less likely to be in a long lasting relationship? And honestly, I think you can even look at it from the other perspective, right? And know that just because people have those indicators, they're wealthy, they're educated, they got married after their age 25, 
if they're not doing the right things to cultivate or maintain a great relationship, then those indicators mean very little. Certainly the people in relationships have control over what happens, right? And how relationships play out. It just seems natural that people's behavior, their decisions, their commitment, all those things really matter. And I, I just don't think that I am less likely to have a long-lasting relationship because I am black. <laughs> Maybe that's what it all comes down to. I don't think I have to go and break the news to my husband that our relationship is more likely to break up because of our race and how we look. I mean, does that sound right to you? We've been together for 15 years, and I know that's not 50 years, and we're still, you know, in the grand scheme of things, very early in our marriage. But I, th- I think it's a pretty good start. And it would be crazy for us, right, to read this report, look at this research, look at the data, and now that we've been together for 15 years, to assume that it has any implications on us or that our race has some bearing on whether or not we're going to stay together in the long run. And when it comes to long lasting relationships, I have always just been a believer that there are so many things that are going on behind the scenes that are coming together, that are making relationships work. And it's really important, right? That we figure out what that is because no one wants to have a failed relationship. And if we are focused on these external indicators that, granted, from a data and research standpoint, there's probably a strong correlation. But if we're assuming that those are playing a bigger role than they really are, then our attention is on the wrong thing. We're not focused on what's really making relationships work. And the first thing I think that's worth noting, right, is when it comes to relationships, it takes two people. The personalities, the investment into the relationship of each person. These are like really important factors, wouldn't you say? I mean, if you think back to your last relationship, the one that went wrong, can you say that you had a team effort where both people on the same page when it came to your relationship, were both people committed, invested in it, doing every single thing that they could in order for the relationship to be solid and to thrive? Again, it wasn't about any indicators, at least for me, when I look back on my relationships that went wrong, it really wasn't about any external anything. It was about the way that we were either cultivating or not cultivating and maintaining the relationship. And so it was behavioral. There were decisions, there were choices that we made, or honestly, choices that we, (laughs) we didn't make in terms of, you know, our willingness to work on the relationship. But that was what really mattered. I actually came across this great quote too the other day, And it says, good relationships don't just happen. They take patience, a willingness to learn and improve yourself, and two people who truly want to be together. 
I mean, to me, that quote hits the nail on the head, right? Because if you have mutual investment in a relationship and there's a desire to spend time together, a willingness to, you know, be honest that you may have some rough edges that need to be rounded out and allow that other person to help you round them out and a commitment to growing together and learning from each other, those are the real indicators, right? That's what they mean about good relationships not just happening. And if we are focusing on those and aiming for those, then that's how we can make certain that we have these long-lasting relationships. And if we don't have these criteria, these indicators that they say increase the likelihood of our marriage working out, or even if we do have them, we can't take things at face value or assume that just because we do or we don't, that there isn't a amount of personal responsibility and more importantly, ability to control how our relationships play out. Now, of course, it takes two people, right? I mean, both parties have to be invested in the relationship. But I really think there are things that we can choose to do that will contribute and make our relationship more likely to succeed. And I actually came across another list that I thought was really helpful of things that you may want to focus on. If you are really serious about doing things that are going to cultivate and maintain a long-lasting relationship. And one of the things that it suggested was having a mutual commitment to the relationship like we've been talking about. You want to make certain you're investing the time and the effort and the energy into the relationship. And both people, of course, have to be doing that. It also talked about a mutual commitment to learn from the other person and let them help you grow. Again, that's what we were talking about earlier, too, in terms of realizing that your partner is the perfect person to help you, you know, point out your rough edges. And, of course, you can then focus on, you know, rounding them out. The third thing it talked about was just keeping the relationship alive, keeping the good energy flowing, sharing the love, respecting one another, having fun together, date nights and all that good stuff. And finally, the fourth thing was to continually remind your partner about how much you appreciate them. You know, never taking them for granted, pointing out the little things that you appreciate. Actually, speaking of that, did you see, it was about four or five years ago, Andre Agassi delivered this speech about his wife, Steffi Graf, who was being honored in to the Hall of Fame. And we got a glimpse into their relationship and the way that they respect each other and the, the routines and the things that they do to make sure they're not taking each other for granted. And it just showed how they're basically hitting this list, this list that we just went through of those four things to maintain their relationship. Check it out. And even now, it has taken my breath away to see how you've quietly laid down your racket to pursue love and motherhood with the same zeal and high standards 
you have always demanded of yourself. The history books will record for posterity your ability to embrace and rise above adversity and to win again, again, and again. But for those of us who are blessed to actually see firsthand your quiet humility, to watch you represent your sport with unmistakable dignity, and for those of us who are even more blessed to be lifted out of ourselves by your laughter, to be on the receiving end of your always generous heart. We have been touched deeply by your life. You have made us better. And we will never be the same. Now that's a great speech, isn't it? I think every husband or every person in a relationship should have to write one of those for the person they're with and, and read it to them. <laughs> um, but I just, I just love that speech. And in its entirety, it's amazing. And if you have time, you should really go and check out the whole thing because it just epitomizes, I think, what we mean about the things that you have to do and what needs to flow naturally when you have a, a great relationship. And the last thing I wanted to say was um, another quote I found. This one is from Elizabeth Gilbert, who is the author of Eat, Pray, Love. And I just really appreciated this quote so much. She said, people think a soulmate is your perfect fit. And that's what everyone wants. But a true soulmate is a mirror. The person who shows you everything that is holding you back. The person who brings you to your own attention so you can change your life. Don't you think that's a good one? I just really, I love that quote. <laughs> but anyway, today is the day, right? As it always is. If there are things that you want to change or improve in your relationship, today's the day to really get serious about making changes. There are things that you can start integrating into your day, into your relationship, and one great question I always ask myself at the beginning of the day is, you know, what am I going to do specifically today to keep the good energy flowing in my relationship, to make sure that, you know, my husband knows I'm not taking him from granted, just all the stuff that I know I need to keep top of mind. So if there are specific things that you know you want to do, it's kind of just good to start the day off thinking about those. And next, I wanted to discuss the second report and the statistics. This one relates to success, not necessarily being completely dependent on your IQ or your intelligence, because the majority of your success is based on your personality, according to this latest article in Forbes, and your likability factor, which I just thought is fascinating. So we are going... To get into that next, you are listening to The Possibility of Today on webtalkradio.net. All right, so let's dive into this next report. According to this article and data in Forbes, intelligence is overrated. 
And what this article pointed to was if you really want to succeed, you need to not only focus on your intelligence and your knowledge and, you know, building your skills from a technical standpoint. It spoke about the importance of your likability and doing things that improved your personality, your communication skills, things that made people like you. And unlike the report that was talking about the indicators of a successful and long-lasting marriage that we were speaking about that I thought, okay, let's be careful and make sure we're not drawing the wrong conclusions from that report, this statistic and report, when you dissect it and look under the hood, this makes perfect sense. And I think this is one that you actually should pay attention to. I know I'm paying attention to it because, I mean, how often do we hear people talk about, oh, the good guy never wins and it does you nothing to be nice. And, you know, every time you turn the other cheek, that means someone's taking advantage of you. And all of the other myths, I think, that people buy into. But this article in Forbes showed you that the good guy actually does win and the data and the statistics are backing it up. In fact, it makes you really look at people who, you know, are jerks, for lack of a better term, and you sit there and you're wondering, you know, scratching your head, like, how on earth are they still, quote unquote, winning when they're just so awful to be around? But According to the data and the statistics, eventually that stuff, in one way or another, their personality issues and the fact that they're not being nice, (laughs) that's going to catch up with them. And that's what I thought was so fascinating about these numbers and the way that they were lining up because it was just confirming what you hope to be true, right? That the good guy does win. And then I started looking around and you just find so many other people who are success cases, right? That we all know, hands down, undoubtedly, are people who are thriving and doing really well. And you hear about other people talking about them and how nice they are. Like Eileen Fisher, for example, who founded the huge successful clothing company, Eileen Fisher. And she's, the company's continually grossing like hundreds of millions of dollars each year. And Eileen Fisher is known as one of the most thoughtful and nicest CEOs in the business. And people say she's great to work with and the company policies are amazing and reflect, you know, her true sincerity and thoughtfulness about the people that she employs. In fact, in 2012, Eileen Fisher, the company, was recognized as one of the best workplaces. And clearly she's successful, right? She's making hundreds of millions of dollars every year. So that's exhibit A. And the thing is, is that there are tons of exhibits. Once you look at these people and you really start saying, okay, who is actually continually year after year after year succeeding? And you take notice of what other people are saying about them. And there's a strong direct correlation between people who are known as the nice guys 
and their success, you know, from Steven Spielberg to Tom Hanks, Beyonce Knowles, Venus Williams, Julia Roberts, who everyone adores. In fact, they call her Hollywood's nicest girl. I actually, while I was putting this information together, came across this great clip of Julia that just shows how likable she is. Take a listen to it. This is her accepting her Oscar. I'm going to spend some time here to tell you some things. Because I may never be here again. You truly just made me want to be the best actor that I, I suppose I never knew I could be uh, or aspire to. So that's just a quick clip from a really great acceptance speech by Julia Roberts. But it just shows, you know, why everyone says she's so likable and just really furthers this this article and this data that people who are likable, people that have these personalities that other people gravitate to end up being successful. And of course, this correlation between being nice and successful extends beyond just being a celebrity or a powerful CEO, which is why I really thought this was a, an important report and article in Forbes because the correlation applies across the board to all of us. And it's just so important to make sure that, you know, you're being kind and thoughtful and that these are things that you realize are impacting and playing directly into your ability to succeed. And actually adding even more proof to this article that Forbes was reporting on in terms of this correlation between likability and success there was this finding by a Nobel Prize winning psychologist. His name is Daniel Kahneman. And his research showed even more why likability and having one of these personalities that people enjoy and want to be around really matters in terms of business, in terms of everything. And what he found in his report is that people will do business with a person that they like and trust over someone that they don't like or trust, even if that person who they don't like has better prices or even the, he said he found if the person who isn't likable has a better product or service, but they know someone who they like and their product or service isn't necessarily comparable, they will choose the person that they like over the other person. They will pay more money <laughs> for the same product just based on doing business with someone they like. And that, when I saw that and I read that, I'm like, this is, this is it. This is why this stuff really matters. Right. And, there are things, obviously, that anyone can do that ups their likability factor, if you will, uh, makes people you know, want to be around you. There are personality quirks that you can kind of smooth out. There are things that you can do to show people that you care and relate to people. There are ways that you can 
improve your communication skills and show people you're being thoughtful. There's actually this great book by uh, Dale Carnegie called How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's really great. (laughs) And just shows, you know, specifically the things that you always want to have top of mind. And so often we spend hours and years, I mean, in decades, right, on improving our technical skills and learning new things and really trying to be at the edge of our career and our industry. But one major thing that we have to make certain we're always doing too is understanding the role that our personality plays into what we're working so hard to accomplish and our success. And as this data and this article in Forbes showed, you will be much more likely to accomplish those things that are important to you and to experience real lasting success if you are nicer to all the people around you. And that is something that I have really tried to always stay focused on because I know it it matters and it matters a lot. Actually, to that point, another great example of likability being tied to success is Howard Schultz, who is the CEO of Starbucks. And Howard Schultz is also known as a very thoughtful and likable leader. And his likability and kindness are reflected in a lot of the principles that the company has created, particularly as it relates to the benefits they provide employees and healthcare. Listen to this clip when Howard Schultz was interviewed. I had the voice of my father in my ear and my mind for so many years about what he went through and what I saw as a kid. This company that we've, we've built, for me personally, was trying to build a company that he, the kind of company that he never got a chance to work for. In 1988, Schultz was instrumental in having Starbucks offer health insurance to part-time employees who work at least 20 hours a week. Today, Starbucks spends more on health care for employees than on the raw coffee beans for their North American business. So that helped employees to feel as though the company cares about me. So that was Howard Schultz, and obviously Howard Schultz is amazingly successful, and Starbucks is amazingly successful, and it's just interesting to me to see evidence that, you know, really shows what this article in Forbes and what this report is saying really backs up the fact that being thoughtful and being kind and You know, obviously having people like you and like your company really matters and plays into success. Now, obviously that's not to say that you don't have to continually develop your knowledge or your skill or your expertise or work hard. It's just that a major component that you want to make certain you're also focusing on is your likability. And, you know, as it was mentioned in this Forbes article, it's easy to overlook that, right? Because it's not one of those concepts that's necessarily 
right in front of our face or in handbooks or, you know, something that is focused on. It's more elusive and it's difficult and challenging to measure. But that doesn't change the fact or dilute the fact that it is playing into people's success. So there you have it. And you can see, you know, that likability matters and it it matters a lot. And today, if this is something that you want to focus on in terms of increasing your success, don't just think it's going to have to be with, you know, your area of knowledge or, or what you're doing in terms of your skills. Put together a plan on becoming more likable. Pick up that Dale Carnegie book. You know, really start observing how other people are relating to you and responding to you. And if you notice that there's something off, fix it because it matters. Your likability matters and it's going to be 85% of the reason why you are successful. And up next, we are going to get into Sherry's hot question about her career and figuring out what her best next steps are. And then, of course, we will end with our possibility of today, funny moment of the week. So stick around. You are listening to The Possibility of Today on webtalkradio.net. Okay, so now we are going to turn to the hot question of the week. This one is from Sherry, who says she is confused with the direction of her career and doesn't know exactly which direction to go in next, but knows that she's got to do something because she has to be true to herself. And Sherry, actually, I think you hit the nail on the head with your question when you said, I need to be true to myself. Because when I was reading a question, I was like, you know, that's the one thing that I realized, right? Was sometimes we don't have the answers and we don't know the exact specific steps. I know I was in that exact place when I was trying to figure out which direction I wanted to go with my career. And it doesn't mean that the answers aren't going to eventually come It just means at this moment in time, you don't have the answers. So when that happens, it's just, I think, a matter of making being true to yourself your number one priority and knowing you're not going to compromise or settle for anything that just doesn't feel right. And so specifically what that meant that I did was every morning, you know, I would just make it a routine to ask myself questions. You know, what do I want for my career? What do I want in the long term? What feels right? And it was an enjoyable activity because I was kind of just like daydreaming and just kind of using my time to think through things. And honestly, the answers didn't come right away. But I knew that they eventually would come and they did. And that will be the same thing that will happen to you. So just you know, keep it a priority, like you said, to stay true to yourself. Take time every day. I think that's important to ask yourself these questions because it just kind of gets the right thoughts flowing so that, you know, the answers will come. But if you do that, eventually they will. 
and you just take step by step in the right direction until you know that what you're doing is true to what you believe, what you want for your future, and things will fall in place. So I hope that helps. And again, if any of you have questions, please feel free to either drop by the iTunes page and leave them or shoot them to me on email. But before I leave you today, I wanted to talk about the uh, possibility of today funny moment of the week. And it's on a completely different note, but it falls into the category of let's call it likability because it has to do with Kevin Hart. And, you know, I'm a huge believer in laughing and enjoying yourself, like making sure you're just not taking everything so seriously because laughter helps and there are funny things to notice. And I noticed one of them this week as I was surfing around the net. Um, So Kevin Hart is a comedian. I don't know for all of you who haven't come across him. And when I was watching this clip on YouTube, I'm totally sitting at my desk laughing out loud. So I'm sure if anyone had been anywhere close, they would have been thinking I was going crazy. But he was on this show and he's sharing this story because he has two children and he has a three-year-old son who thinks that he's Spider-Man. And so what his son does is he throws webs, imaginary webs, of course, on people because he's Spider-Man, right? And he has Spider-Man powers. And Kevin Hart has been playing along with this um, and pretending like, oh, you're trapping me in my web and that's a good way to kind of handle situations. But then he starts sharing a story of how he gets frustrated because he's trying to teach his son lessons and show him how to make certain he is, you know, standing up for himself and not getting taken advantage of in preschool. But his son thinks that the way that he can handle all situations is by throwing his Spider-Man web at people. So anyway, hilarious clip. You've got to take a listen to it. What can you pass along to your kids that they would understand? You know what, George, it's funny you say that, because uh, I've, been, I've been having a hard time with figuring out the type of life lessons, you know, that, I, that I'm trying to hand my kids. You know, basically, as a father, you want to teach your kids certain things. But I look back at my life, George, you know, I don't have a lot to teach. Uh, you know, to see what goes on in these daycares, all right? These little kids are crazy, all right? I caught a little boy putting paste in my son's mouth. That's when I had enough. I said, I'm going to teach my son how to defend himself. Now, the only problem I'm having, my son... My son thinks he's Spider-Man, George, for real. Like, listen, I'm not joking. Like, like when we play, he wet me. He like, like, listen. <laughs> but because I'm dad, like, because I'm his dad, when he does it, I got to act like I'm caught. I'm like, oh, no, you know, let me out. Let me out. So, but it's us playing. Let me tell you why this is bad. I'm not joking. So I go to pick him up from school, right? This little boy is hitting my son in the head with a truck, right? My son on the floor doing this. <laughs> Hilarious, right? I hope you enjoyed that clip and got a good laugh out of it. And that is the show for the week. Make certain you are taking advantage of the possibility of today, using it in whatever way you want so that you're getting to where you want to be 
whether that is in terms of your relationship and doing things that we talked about today to cultivate it and maintain it, whether that is improving your likability so that you can make certain you have long-lasting success. Have a great week and live today better than yesterday. Yes.